Coming to you from the AT&T Podcast Studio, this is Long Story Short. I'm Ted Struley, the Executive Director at Oklahoma Watch. We're a statewide nonprofit news organization that specializes in investigative reporting. You're listening to our weekly podcast, which lets you hear directly from our journalists as they provide deeper insight into their recently published stories. And with Jennifer Palmer, who covers education for Oklahoma Watch, her most recent Education Watch newsletter details a new report that specifically criticizes a tax credit program here in Oklahoma. Jennifer, what program was the report referring to and how does it work? So the report is talking about the um, Equal Opportunity Scholarship Program, which Oklahoma has had in place since uh, 2011. And this is a program that allows um, very generous tax credits to um, businesses and also individual and married couples who donate to these funds that then provide private school vouchers to students um, to attend uh, private schools. Well, how big is this Equal Opportunity Scholarship Program? So the latest year available, which is 2021, um, there were 4.7 million credits claimed in Oklahoma, according to the Tax Commission. Now, that year, the legislature um, passed a large expansion, um, raised the cap on the tax credits to $25 million for uh, private school uh, tuition donations and another $25 million for public school donations, like to a um, public school district foundation or, or something like that. Um, so that's $50 million total. And of course, we're, we don't have 2022 yet because the tax deadline hasn't passed. Um, but it's, it's a growing program that has uh, a long way to go and could have a, a big impact on the state budget. Now, the report, uh, which was issued by the Institute on Taxation and Business Policy, uh, says these kinds of programs really provide a tax shelter, right? How do they do that? Right. So the, I mean, the the point of the report was to to point out that really what these programs do is encourage a way for folks to avoid paying taxes, and specifically businesses, because the cap for businesses is so much higher than for individuals and for married couples, um, hundred thousand dollars a year, and and so they can donate um, in a way that they get back all or most of their donation um, and sometimes can even earn a little extra, like a profit. Now, these are tax credits we're talking about here, not deductions, right? Right. And that has long been a criticism of these programs. When you donate to a charity, like say you really admire the work that a certain charity is doing, you give them money, that's at, that's just a deduction. But for these programs, um, people get credits. Um, so dollar for dollar um, subtraction of the taxes that they owe to the state. It, it's much more beneficial to the taxpayer. So a, a direct uh, ends up being a direct reduction of tax owed, uh, not a reduction of income, uh, which would only uh, only a portion of that would affect the taxes owed. Okay. Right now, for this program, it's actually not refundable, um, like some tax credits are. So you wouldn't get cash back, um, but you can carry it over. Now the report highlighted marketing material from Oklahoma's Opportunity Scholarship Fund. What did it say about that? So the Opportunity Scholarship Fund is 
Oklahoma's largest um, fund that collects the donations and distributes the scholarships. There are quite a few of these. Um, and and so what they said is this, um, this entity put out, um, you know, flyers, brochures and stuff, trying to um, entice donors and pointing out that they could um, earn money, actually, by donating. Um, the, the flyer that they put in the report said they could turn a $20,000 donation into a $400 profit um, by claiming it as a business expense. And um, that was something that the Institute thought was, um, you know, shouldn't be allowed to happen. Now, you wrote that the IRS... Uh has in the past cracked down on organizations giving that kind of advice to donors, right? When, what was that? Right. So previously, um, these organizations were telling um, donors that they could claim their donation as um, as a charitable donation. So it would be the tax credits stacked with the federal um, charitable donation and the IRS cracked down on that and, and does not allow that anymore. And so now these entities are are pointing out that they can claim it as a necessary business expense. Right now, the state legislature is uh, considering a different tax credit plan. How would it be different? Right. And I think there's been a bit of confusion. I've seen some folks um, post things from this report in relation to what the legislature is considering. Um, They're different tax credits. The current program through the Equal Opportunity Scholarship Fund rewards donors. So that's like a business wants to give money to this entity and then the entity gives the money to the um, kids to go to private schools. What the legislature is considering is for actual parents and guardians of kids who spend money on tuition, giving them a tax credit. Um, So really, you know, I mean, similar in that they're both tax credits, but really for different audiences. All right. Well, thanks, Jennifer. Uh, You can subscribe to Jennifer's Education Watch newsletter, which comes out weekly by going to our website, oklahomawatch.org, where you can also read all of Jennifer's investigative work. Ashlyn Huffman covers criminal justice for Oklahoma Watch. In a recent story, she looked into the possible closure of a county jail. Ashlyn, uh, how'd you find this story? So as I was making phone calls for another story, I ended up calling Eric Johnson, who is the district attorney over Hughes, Seminole, and Pontotoc counties. And during that phone call, he ended up saying that he wanted to close the county jail. And so I had never heard of a county jail being closed in Oklahoma. So that prompted me to look into it a little bit further. All right. Now there is a state law regarding county jails, right? Yes. What's it say? So all counties must have a county jail or contract out with another county who would then house their detainees. Okay, now you mentioned the DA you talked to uh, oversees three counties, not uncommon in Oklahoma, uh, but he wants to close the Hughes County Jail. Why that one? So um, the Hughes County Jail has been under the spotlight lately by the district attorney because it has been deemed dangerous. It has failed several jail inspections since 2019. And so once Mr. Johnson took office, he started looking through the jail inspection reports and he actually went and visited the jail and realized it's dangerous. 
What uh, were some of the uh, safety violations? So aside from just unsanitary conditions, um, mold, standing water, leaking toilets, they also had electrical cords strewn across the corridors. They were not collecting razors like you're supposed to. State law says you're supposed to protect the detainees. Um, You're not supposed to allow them to have their own prescription medication, things like that. And uh, what other options, aside from shutting down the Hughes County Jail, have been proposed to, to solve this? So in 2020, the Hughes County Commissioners actually proposed getting a new jail built because of the problems with the current facility. Unfortunately, when it came to a vote of the people, it failed by over 78 percent. Wow. So what are the next steps that are going to be required before uh, that jail can be closed? So um, last month, Eric Johnson, he met with some of the the Seminole County officials and to close the jail, they would need to determine a price per detainee. So next week, they're re-meeting with the same officials to determine how much would Seminole County charge to house the detainees. Because if they charge too much, then Hughes County will not be able to close the jail if they can't afford to house in Seminole. All right. And uh, what's the timeline on that decision making? Do we know? Um. Mr. Johnson has not decided a timeline. He said his would be within the next 30 to 45 days, but obviously that's not set in stone. All right. Well, thanks, Ashland. You can uh, read Ashland's coverage of the Hughes County Jail, along with her other investigative work around criminal justice at our website, oklahomawatch.org. Keaton Ross covers democracy for Oklahoma Watch, and in his latest story, he examined why young voter turnout in Oklahoma is lagging and what could be done to boost civic engagement within that 18 to 30 demographic. Keaton, uh, what was young voter turnout like in the two most recent statewide elections? In the November 8th general election, it was just under 25 percent, so a little less than a quarter. And in that March 7th, uh, special election to decide state question 820. It was just under 10% of registered voters in that age demographic uh, cast a ballot. Now, how does that compare to overall turnout? So overall in November, it was just over 50% of registered voters. And in March, it was around 25% of registered voters. Um, so about half or less than half um, in that in that 18 to 30 range. Well, now this uh, isn't solely an Oklahoma problem, and it isn't uh, isn't really a new issue either, right? That's right. Yeah, we look looking across the board. Um, youth turnout has always lagged the the overall turnout, um, and you look at neighboring states like Texas and their November midterm election um, around the similar rate as Oklahoma. Um, but when you compare it to 2018. And of course, overall turnout was higher in 2018, that midterm election. Um, But there was about 7% higher youth turnout in in that election. So dropping off from there and and kind of maybe raising the concerns that that this might continue to dip and and there might be lower engagement in that young population. Now, you know, she suggested this is not a new problem, right? What What are the reasons that young people are less likely to vote? There, there are several reasons. Um, there's, there's not one thing you can point at and be, and say that this is causing it. Um, of course, young people have less political experience. They're new to 
registering to vote. They might not have been as interested in politics or in elections when they, they weren't eligible to vote. So they're kind of coming into that uh, new world and, and maybe had other priorities as they were going through school. Um, they're also moving, tend to move around more often than older people. So you're maybe not in the same place, not as in tune with your local politics there if you're moving around more often. Um, so those are just a few of the areas that, that people that have researched this issue have identified. Well, you know, a lack of competitive races also tends to discourage voter turnout. Has that uh, been an issue here? That's definitely been an issue in Oklahoma. And that's even something compared to that 2018 election that I mentioned where the youth turnout rate was closer to um, a little over 30 percent compared to in the November election where it was closer to 25 percent. There were a lot more contested uh, state house and state senate races in 2018 that dropped off in 2022. So a lot of voters didn't even have a say in those races. And, um, you know, you're not having as many candidates knocking on doors. You're not getting as much political messaging coming to you, if that's the case, um, at least on that uh, more local level. Um, so that that can certainly contribute to a, a lower interest and a lower turnout. Well, are there any uh, policy solutions that might spur more young people to go vote? You know, it's kind of like the the reasons why there's not a, a single thing you can point out and say this is why um, this is contributing to young people not voting. There's not really a single policy, um, but I, I talked to one researcher that has looked into this and they said, you know, a combination of several things, uh, having fully online voter registration, um, which Oklahoma is still working on after several years, um, ha they've identified that as helpful. Um, things like pre-registration beginning at age 16. In Oklahoma, you can pre-register beginning at 17 and a half. Um, so um, that difference might, might have a little bit of an impact. Um, and they've also identified... Um, youth poll worker programs where if you're 16 or 17 and can take a day off of school and, and go help work the polls as something that can help people get interested in the political process. Uh, Oklahoma doesn't have that either. Um, but those, those are a few things they've identified as potentially um, being helpful. Now, what about the role of both nonprofits and political campaigns? Uh, could they be doing more to reach young people? I think most people would tell you, yes, they could be doing more. Um, but the reason why they're not is because, like I mentioned, young people are moving around more often. They're, they're more mobile. They might not be as established. Um, so if they don't have, you don't have a voting record or those sorts of things, uh, young people are going to be a lot more difficult and expensive to reach. Um, so that's, that's why you see a lot of campaigns maybe struggling to reach younger people is just because they're not as established and um, it's harder to get to them. So that's kind of the the problem and the struggle there. Now, what's at stake for young people if they don't, they don't start voting more often? Yeah. So if this trend continues, um, you know, the experts I talked to said that their political power is just going to wane. Um, if you're not voting, you're not um, registering to become a candidate, uh, you're ultimately not going to have the the same political power and influence as as that block of folks who who are voting and are engaged in the process. 
All right. Well, thanks, Keaton. You can read all of Keaton's coverage of uh, this topic with young voters and their uh, low turnout rates, as well as all his other stories related to democracy on our website, oklahomawatch.org, where you can also subscribe to his weekly newsletter, Democracy Watch. You've been listening to Long Story Short, a weekly podcast that helps you get deeper into the investigative stories reported by Oklahoma Watch, which you can find on the web at oklahomawatch.org. This episode was recorded at the AT&T Podcast Studio. For Oklahoma Watch, I'm Ted Struley. Thanks for listening.